Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in today. We're inviting you to stay with us for this hour as we are opening the Bible and uh, learn from the Bible and planning for success. We are going to look into the Bible to see how can we be successful in life. I'd like to welcome our panel for today. And it's good to have you with us, uh, Jerry. Thank you, Nick. Great to be here. Joe, thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. Thank you, Nick. Len, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for your welcome. And hello, listeners. And Will, thank you for uh, taking time and be part of this too. Thank you, Nick. This study has a practical lesson for my own personal experience and That's why I'm glad to be part of it today. Great. Denise, thank you for uh, coming with us today. In particular, I'd like to thank you for preparing this uh, study for today. You are going to facilitate the discussion today and it will be really good to also have you as a teacher on this panel with a teaching background. Thank you, Nick. It's a privilege to be here. All right. Well, um, Let's just uh, go into this uh, subject today, and Denise, if you could take us through, that would be great. Sure. Our study today is called Planning for Success. As you all know, there's quite a widespread emphasis in our society on being successful and living happy lives. People most often equate success with a good reputation, a career path that guarantees wealth and security, and possessions that are acquired with that wealth. It sounds easy, doesn't it? But the way that the world views success is not the same as the way that God views it. We know from experience that we live in an unpredictable world where material wealth and possessions can easily be taken from us. We also know how this world defines success, but do we know how God defines success? There are stories in the Bible which clearly show us how God defines success and they're quite different to how the world around us defines it. I'm sure you've all heard of the story of Joseph who lived in Egypt and who went from prison to palace. He certainly had a successful life. Then there was John the Baptist who went from prison to the tomb. Was his life a success? It all depends on how we define successful. In our study today, we're going to look at the biblical idea of success from the context of stewardship and financial principles. No matter who we are or where we live, money and finances are going to be an important part of our lives. We need to consider some practical steps that will help us to avoid common pitfalls and mistakes, especially in the area of financial success. And I'd like to present uh, a text from Proverbs 3 verse 6, which I think is an overarching principle for all that we do, and it says this, Put the Lord first in everything you do, and he will direct your life. So with that opening um, introduction to the lesson, I'd like to ask Joe to pray for us. Certainly. Father, we thank you for the desire that you desire the best for us and that it is your will for us to be healthy, happy and successful in our lives. Thank you also that you've given us guidelines to to success in your word. We pray that you'll give us wisdom to follow your way, knowing that it will allow us to live our best lives. 
Be with us now, the panel and all who may listen in, to be able to take away something from the study which will enhance our lives. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for younger people just starting out in life when they first leave home, especially when it comes to thinking about providing for their basic needs of food, shelter and clothing, Jesus advised us to prioritise him in our daily lives. Lynn, I wonder if you'd read um, Matthew 6.33 and explain why it is important to prioritise our relationship with Jesus before anything else. And could you also please look at Proverbs 3, verse 6 and talk about why our relationship with God and putting him first is so important? Chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek first his, that's God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things be given to you as well. This particular text reminds me of a saying which goes like this. The most important thing is to keep the most important thing as the most important thing. This text is saying, seek God first. In other words, give God the highest priority. A good friend of mine used to have this little saying, make God first, last and best in everything. Now, the question is, why don't people seek God first and give him the highest priority in their lives? Well, simply this, I think, because they don't trust him. When we get to know God, we can find that he is totally trustworthy. In fact, he even gives us a challenge. We've mentioned this before on another program where in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, talking about tithing, God says, test me, test me in this. In other words, check me out, see if I am genuine or not. We, uh, we know that any relationship that's worthwhile is built on trust. I trust my wife, she trusts me, I have had a relationship with somebody, a business partner, who was untrustworthy. Well, what happened to that relationship? It's no longer a relationship because uh, this person turned out to be untrustworthy. In putting God first, there are a number of other things. You know, having a relationship with God helps you to have the space to fully understand your own feelings, your needs and desires without having to feel ashamed and shy, or shy, I should say, of what you're wondering about or asking for. It's like tuning in every day, communicating with God, trying to connect yourself as well as everything that does not speak your language trying to connect with all the immense beauty around you. Perhaps our relationship with the divine gives the strength to carry on, to allow a new type of love, to always question, wonder, and to always understand the world and ourselves a little more. Our relationship with God has no limits and no restrictions. 
It allows us to free ourselves and make the relationship that we have with the Lord our home. Now, just one final little thing. In our home, this is our priority, or these are our priorities. First is God. Second is each other. In other words, my wife makes me her second priority and I make her my second priority. Then comes our children and then comes other people. But to make God first and last and best and everything, I think is the way to go. And God doesn't leave you stranded. Now we come to Proverbs, and that was already quoted here before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And I've I've experienced this in my life. It doesn't mean to say I'm the wealthiest person in the street and it doesn't mean to say I don't have all the best stuff in the street. But what it does mean is that I'm able to live a happy, healthy and holy life, which is a very desirable thing. Many people are not healthy, they're not happy, and of course not holy. But in that sense, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm speaking personally here, I have peace. My life is good and enjoyable. And this, I believe, is one of the byproducts of putting God first in our lives. Thank you, Lynn, for that comprehensive answer. That was very helpful. Now, besides a spiritual commitment to God, there is also the important decision of a life partner, a marriage partner. And we have in the Bible the story of Jacob, where there are principles about a marriage partner that were highlighted. Jerry, can you please summarise the passage in Genesis 29, 9 to 20 and tell us why it was important for Jacob to commit his life to God at a young age and how this impacted his choice of a marriage partner? Yeah, how true. Um, You know, you have to give yourself the best possible chance of success and especially when it comes to marriage, isn't it? Um, How do you do that? Well, there's a right way of doing things and there's a wrong way of doing things. So uh, uh, I can't think really of anything more important other than your connection with God than uh, being connected to the right person, as in making the right choice for a marriage partner. Um, before I go to that summary, um, to give it some context as well, I thought it was interesting to read how in um, the previous chapters, it talks about Jacob's brother Esau and how he had taken as wives uh, two two women initially from the uh, one was a hit, uh, daughter of Elon the Hittite and another one probably from the same background. Anyway, they were both uh, from pagan origins. So and, and bear in mind uh, Esau, Esau, of course, came from a God fearing background and he goes in the direct, in the opposite direction than his father wanted him to go. He, he did his own thing and suffered enormous consequences as a result. It says in chapter 26, 
verse 35 of Genesis, and they were a grief of mind to, to Isaac and Rebekah, literally meaning there was bitterness of spirit to Esau's parents because they saw that their son had chosen as wives idol worshippers. After Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram and told him not to take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, Esau did the exact opposite and probably despite his father. And he took yet another wife from the daughters of Canaan. So in chapter 28, verses 1 and 2, it says uh, Jacob listened to his father's counsel and directive. And he went all the way to Haran to find a wife from their cultural and, and religious background, if you like. Now, he went on an epic journey. It, it was about a thousand kilometers north east of Beersheba, where, it's, uh, where it started. And Esau wanted to ensure that Jacob's future wife would have the same religion and spiritual conviction as he and Rebecca had. Because family ties are always very important, aren't they? Especially in those days. Very important to maintain. So Jacob reaches his destination and by divine providence meets some shepherds who point out Rachel, the shepherdess, who, well, it would appear happened to be there. And they say that, uh, and she was the daughter of Laban, which is his mother's brother and a direct fulfillment of Isaac's instruction. So imagine how uh, Jacob must have felt when listening to his father's instruction, guided by divine providence, he meets up with the very person who he was to marry. And he recognized that as God's leading. Anyway, long story short, he happily stays there and serves his uncle for seven years for Rachel. And I guess the takeaway from all of this is that Jacob recognizes God's leading and commits himself to God after he's had the vision of the ladder connecting earth to heaven. He chooses to do things the right way and not the wrong way, to listen to God, to commit himself to God. And um, he finds the right partner. Thank you, Jerry. Um, this story reminds us of a principle which the Bible indicates is important to consider when choosing a life partner. Is God interested in our choice of life partner? Will, can you please read 2 Corinthians six fourteen to 15 and tell us about this principle and how we might apply it? Certainly. It, uh, it says that divine guidance is important in forming a successful family with a prudent spouse from the Lord. And the text in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 and 15 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Interesting, Denise, that it uses the word yoked. I quickly looked up what uh, a yoke really was, and it's interesting to see how a yoke works. It was constructed so as to make the ox, each ox, pull an equal share of the load. It's bound, it binds the animals together, and consequently, if one pulls ahead of the other or holds back, 
The other member of the team is hindered. The yoke is uh, causes physical pain, choking the one that pulled ahead or pinching the neck of the one that lags behind. Behind, because of this discomfort, shall I say, and the restrictiveness of the yoke, the oxen usually kept a common pace, um, moving in the same manner and traveling in the same direction. So when Paul uses the term equally, unequally yoked, he is implying that if a Christian teams up with an unbeliever, the pairing might hinder their walk with the Lord, restrict their freedom in Christ, and cause an imbalance of responsibility in the relationship. Thanks, Will. And I think we need to make the point that though it doesn't guarantee, nothing guarantees a perfect marriage, uh, it's better to um, take the advice that the Bible gives about choosing a partner and asking God to be part of that choice. So we now turn our attention to the matter of working, which not only provides us with an income, but also is something that would be better enjoyed rather than hated. Most of us have to have had to work for a living or are working for a living or will spend our lives working for a living to survive. So there, there must be some principles in the Bible that can help us to navigate this issue. Jerry, can you please read Genesis 2.15? And there were some other texts there you could look at in Ecclesiastes and Second Thessalonians and explain the importance of work for Adam and Eve before the entrance of sin even took place. Why does God consider work to be something that can be a blessing for us all to be involved in? It says in Genesis 2.15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Um, The King James Version says to dress and keep it. So what does that mean? Well, essentially, we would say he needed to take care of it, to cultivate it, to manage it, and to keep it in good condition, basically. And how do you do that? Well, by physical labor. Um, work is a blessing. The body needs to be physically active and mentally active to function properly. That's the way God designed us. And um, and I think we've all experienced the joy of, of seeing the result of something that we've done or achieved um, after you've completed it. It's, it. it's good for the soul. And so I think, um, you know, that that's how God intended it for us to be. Um, and often you find that people who don't have uh, a useful activity to do, um, they don't, they're not in a happy place. So it's really important for us to, uh, to stay active and to have a useful occupation and to feel that we're making some sort of contribution. That's, I think that's really important. Now, Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. So to do something with your might, we would say to do it to the best of your ability. Remember, there used to be a song called uh, Do What You Do, Do Well. And that's good advice. Do it with all your might to the best of your ability. Now, finally, in Second Thessalonians chapter uh, 3, verses 8 till 10, uh, Paul talks about his own experience where uh, he says in all his travels, in all his preaching, he didn't expect people to um, look after him 
in the sense that uh, to um, to be financially responsible for him. So what does he do? He says, um, I'll just read here from starting from verse 8, Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. So um, Paul had very strong ideas about the importance of work. And uh, and basically um, doing what is required. Thanks, Jerry. I think Lynn has something he'd like to say. Yes, um, just uh, going back to what Jerry said at the beginning, that work is part of being happy. Yes, this wisdom saying uh, is all about happiness, how to be happy. And it goes like this, there are four points. Someone to love is support, uh, an important thing to be happy. Number two, someone who loves you. Number three, something to do. And number four, something to hope for. When you've got nothing to do, that makes you miserable because you, <laughs> you feel useless. And if you have no one to love, well, that's pretty sad. If you have no one who loves you, that's pretty sad too. So work is actually a part of being happy, although sometimes work can be absolutely miserable. Thank you, Len, and thank you, Jerry. So as you can see from what Jerry has said, that God intended for human beings to work over their lifespan. For most people during this time of their working lives, they're also producing children who are being brought up and educated. This is also a time when a house is bought and other major purchases are made that help sustain life. It can be a very difficult time financially for families, Financial stress can often wreck marriages and families. There are some biblical principles that can help parents through this difficult period. Len, can you look at um, some texts from the Bible that deal with money and family situations and tell us what advice these texts give about financial matters? Okay. Well, with regard to finance and um, that sort of thing, these texts actually talk about one's responsibility, a Christian responsibility, and the first text is found in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. It says, But if anyone provides not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And really this is saying, and it's pointed to Christians, but it applies to anybody, that we have a responsibility to those who belong to us, our children, our spouses, and even those people who may not be a relative, however, have some sort of connection with us. So there it points out, that if you, if you don't care for your own, the Bible calls you worse than an infidel. 
And then we have another verse in Proverbs 14.23. It says, In all labour there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. Well, this is talking about being prepared to work or just frittering time away talking, maybe in a pub or whatever. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. But there is profit in working. Firstly, you make an income, but also you become a useful member of society. Third text is, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This is really saying what sort of standards we should use as we work. And here is my summary. As Christians, as employees, we should be known as being among the best because we have that. It's as if we are working for the Lord. And so our employers should find us totally trustworthy and always do a good job. Here are these verses about responsibility as it um, refers to work. And the advice is to give it your very, very best. Thank you, Lynn. The point must be made here that there are no guarantees about the direction in life that our children will pursue. It's important for parents not to blame themselves for the wrong choices that their children might make. All of us have a choice to make about whether we're going to follow God or not, and we bring up our children in the best way that we know possible. But God calls for his followers to a higher standard in both work and life. He wants us to glorify him in the work that we do. What does the Bible say about a godly employee and why they are a blessing? I'd like to open this up to the panel. In Jeremiah 31, 33, uh, would someone like to read that text um, and uh, we can discuss what it says about being a godly employee and why they are a blessing? I can read uh, Jeremiah 31, 33 for you. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Perhaps Proverbs 22, verse 1 is applicable here too, Denise. Yeah. Says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Wow. Loving favor rather than silver or gold. So it actually says that there are more important things than being rich or even being um, popular. Yes. And I, I make the point that um, if we claim to be followers of God, and he wants us to glorify him, then the way that we behave at work, the way that we work, the way that um, we um, conduct ourselves at work reflects not only on us but also reflects on him. In the biblical story of Jacob, there's an example of how a godly man blessed his employer. Um, Will, can you please read Genesis 30, verse 27, and explain why Laban valued Jacob's work? 
Genesis 30 verse 27 says, And Laban said to him, that's to Jacob, Please stay, if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. In simple terms, Denise, we can we can be a blessing and even an example to all those with whom we work while we practice the divine principles of honesty, economy, and diligence. We all know that uh, in many workplaces, some are more industrious at their assigned jobs than others. To me, Jacob, in this story, is no lazy bones. He's not skirting responsibility nor looking for selfish shortcuts in his daily tasks. Little wonder that Laban says to him, Hey, I am blessed. Why don't you stay around a little longer and work for me? Thank you, Will. There's also another principle about our attitude to work in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Can you please read this verse and explain what this text refers to and what are the consequences of our attitude to work? 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. 1 Chronicles 29 verse 11 and 12 says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. The priority here, I think, is to understand that everything really belongs to God and that we are stewards and that we need to look after every facet of his work and our relationship with others like he would want us to do. Len, you wanted to say something. Yes. What Will was saying about Jacob and Laban reminds me of the story about the ant and the grasshopper. And I think it's worthy of telling this here because it's another way of looking at what the Bible says, that in our work we should work diligently. The ant and the grasshopper. The ant was busy scurrying around, finding food, taking it back home and storing it up for the winter. The grasshopper, in the meantime, was enjoying the beautiful sunshine and and was just playing around, singing and laughing and spending time with its friends, but not making any provision for the future. Then came the cold of winter, and the grasshopper was outside freezing, and the ant happened by, and the grasshopper said, Please give me something to eat. And the ant said, Well, you had plenty of time to prepare for the winter and you spent your time just laughing and singing and messing around. Now you have to put up with what you've got. Now the story could have another meaning, that the ant was kind and gave him something to eat, but the point that Aesop wanted to make in telling this was that you need to work diligently if you don't 
then you have to suffer the consequences. Nick, did you want to say something? Yes, I was just going to add that um, in the context of our discussion today, planning for success. You know, we learn from the Bible the wisdom of God to apply in our life, to really uh, understand what success is and to have in our life, as was mentioned already, joy and uh, happiness and all those things. What I would like to mention, in particular in regard even to Jacob's experience, you know how Jacob, when he was uh, on his way to his uncle, he met God. And there was a, a discussion there in between Jacob and God. Jacob said, if you will go with me and if you will help me, then I will give you. You know, and what that means, we need to plan for success in life, but give it to the Lord, all our plans rather than just to plan for success and then pursuing, chasing, if you like, that dream. And many people, unfortunately, end up in a bad shape just because of pursuing that dream. There's nothing wrong to plan. We need to plan for success because God wants us to be successful. But we need to have first God in the picture and Put those plans before him and then learn how to hear his voice and um, see his direction in our life. Thank you, Nick. Jerry, you had something you'd, you'd like to add. Just a quick comment. Um, how you conduct yourself in your workplace uh, doesn't go unnoticed. Uh, if we do our very best, if we are diligent and honest, uh, people take notice of that. They see it. And... Um, you know, it just makes for a, a, a pleasant work environment as well. And often it's uh, the the reason why you get promoted. So, um, and and it may give you an opportunity also to uh, uh, to explain why you conduct yourself in the way you do. I, I mean, I've I'm going to pat myself on the shoulder, but I, I've had I've had a situation where um, that has happened to me in in one of the places I worked. I was just doing what I thought was was normal uh, doing the right thing just just working to the best of my ability <clears throat> and uh, a person uh, just had a quick chat to me and said you know um i've noticed how you how you uh, deal with these situations and uh, this this was in a uh, workplace where i was working uh, uh, with disabled people and it could be quite challenging but um yeah look i think it makes all the difference how you how you conduct yourself and it, it, it makes it so much easier for yourself as well. And if, and if you can give glory to God by doing so, that's the best way. Thank you, Jerry. Plenty of financial gurus in the world who have advice for us about what to do with our money, but the Bible has different advice that will help us manage our money, hopefully successfully. Len, can you please read Psalms 1, 1 to 3 and tell us what the Bible says to help us to be successful in managing our financial situation with regard to God's advice? Yes, well, it just doesn't apply to our finances. It's about the whole of our lives. And the three verses in the beginning of Psalms say this. 
Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Want to stop there? In other words, it says he or she who does not walk in the or conform to the life that sinful people have will be blessed. And uh, this again applies to anyone who wants to serve the Lord. We live a different life. We don't waste our money on drink, drugs, whatever. But blessed is the one who does not do those things. Now we're going on. Blessed is the one whose delight is the law in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. So how does this apply to us as people? Well, when we delight in the law of the Lord, we want to keep it. And God's law provides uh, good for us and good for other people. It almost resonates with the Australian idea of a fair go, that when we follow the Lord, we will be respectful of other people, not trample on their rights and so on. Um, And then it says that person who follows the ways of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And here is very good advice about how we manage our money, how we carry out our jobs and responsibilities. It covers every way of our lives to walk in the way of the Lord and to delight in his law. In other words, to keep it and to treat other people as we would like to be treated. Thank you, Len. Nick, you'd like to add something? Just uh, as Len was um, talking about the experience of David, one of very interesting characters in the Bible, right from a very young age, a boy who trusted in the Lord, who delighted in the Lord, who had experiences with the Lord very early in his life and uh, who was used, if I could use those words, by God in mighty ways. And we know the story of David, that he went through some difficult things. You know, he went astray in some ways disobeyed God's commandments and a few things like that. But he is giving in Psalms in particular this uh, wisdom, if you like, to cling on God, to trust in the Lord, whatever happens in life. Because that's the only solution. And we live in a time in these days in a very individualistic society where everyone is trying to do everything what he can just to advance himself, to benefit as much as possible of the opportunities which comes 
in life. But, uh, but the advice of David, King David, is to keep strong in your faith, in your journey with God. He learned, even in the hard way, what that means when he spoke about that his bones are drying because he could feel that God is not present, that God is not with him at that time. You know, he's not around until he clarified his situation with God, until he put right with God himself. We can talk theoretically about what's in the Bible, but we need to look practically what happens in our life every day. In today's society, in today's time, what happens every day? You know, it can be very idealistic, things like what we talk about, but we need to be real. We are dealing with a lot of oppression. We are dealing with a lot of challenges. The only way out is to cry out to God and he will give us victory and success in everything in life. Thank you, Nick. Panel, let's give our listeners an overview of some of the biblical counsel on financial management. We've got seven points that we're going to cover. Joe, can you start with the first point um, found in Proverbs 27 verses 23 to 24? Absolutely. There is a text or there are a couple of texts that say lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. And we would all agree with that, although there are some exemptions. There's another text that says all hard work brings a profit, but merely talk leads only to poverty. I think, Len, you use that one. Hard work can indeed bring in money, goods and assets, but obtaining money is only the start. There are other texts, and I'll read one from Proverbs 27, which may seem a bit unusual for our time, but it says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Now, in those days, a rich person had flocks and herds of animals, and here we are told to be familiar with our financial situation, to look after our assets, to be good managers, to be aware of what your income and expenditure is. It advises us to draw up a budget because money is easily lost, spent, and we can find ourselves short. We also need to keep in mind, and this is always, that financial gains are transitory, that all that we accumulate will eventually leave behind. And I read the verse 24, and it says, For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. So we know that this from our own experiences and what we've seen, who, which, which dynasty has managed to hang on to, you know, to the crown forever. There's always another dynasty and yet another family, yet something else comes up. There's a revolution. And so here it tells us to be sure that you know the condition of your flocks, be good managers, but remember that your riches are not forever and your crown is not secure for all generations. So whatever you accumulate here is not going to last forever. Therefore, seek first God and his kingdom. And um, that way, I think, Lynn, did you say put God first, sent last and center? What was what, what did you say? Can you quote it for us God again? First, put God Life. first, last and best 
and everything. <laughs> so therefore, I think it admonishes us to do that. Be careful, wise managers, but don't forget to put God first, last and best. Thank you, Joe. Jerry, can you look at Proverbs fifteen sixteen and tell us what this advice is? Yeah. Proverbs 15 verse 16 says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Now, there's some principles here. I, I don't think it's saying, well, it's better to just just hang on there and just scratch by. I think that it's, it's contrasting the two. A little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. And I think a lot of people today, they they listen to the advertising hype. And you may have heard it um, where it says, I want it all, I want it now. And uh, it just leads them into a really deep hole because they they burden themselves with debt. Don't know how they sleep at night. So, you know, the principle, I think, too, is that um, we should try to live within our means. And that's a discipline. Spend less than you earn. Um and don't rely on credit to, to, to keep you afloat. So we really have to be wise in the way we deal with, uh, with, um, how we go about our affairs, especially our financial affairs. Develop a spending plan, as uh, Joe was saying, and, um, stick to it. So, um, yeah, it, you can cause yourself a lot of problems by, by not being disciplined. And God has the best possible uh, advice for wise management there as well. Thanks, Jerry. Will, would you please look at the next text and um, tell us, uh, comment on the advice that's given there? Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 8, reflects a little on the story that Len told, the Aesop story of the uh, grasshopper and the ant. But Proverbs 6, verse 6 to 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, nor ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. But one learn, lesson we learn, I think, from the ant in short, is that it plans for tomorrow, that when tougher times would come, it's able to care for those, um, those times. Something like uh, Joseph calling upon Pharaoh to shore up the food supply of Egypt in preparation for the hard days coming. You know, I think we can't afford to live for today or even just live from weekend to weekend. Wise and proper planning uh, ensures security and resources for the future. It's important for us. Thanks, Will. Nick, would you uh, look at uh, Proverbs 22, verse 7, and tell us the advice that comes from those that text? Sure, Denis. Um, I always like Proverbs because it's a book full of wisdom. By the way, my dear friend has um, chapters for each day of the month. And uh, you could read it every month. I used to read it every month uh, once, um, a chapter a day. And in uh, chapter 22, verse 7, it's a lot of wisdom here. It says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower it's servant to his lender what uh, wisdom is there you know 
My dear friend, here in Australia, we are going to face some difficulties. It's predicted that about a million people may be without their house because they borrow beyond their capacity of paying back. People are, are used to live in um, big dreams. We mentioned quite a few times that we should plan carefully for success. Success doesn't mean to have the latest car or the biggest house or uh, the latest clothes. Success means to be happy in life and enjoy what you have. If I could read another passage, um, uh, Denise, in uh, chapter 13 from the same uh, book, in chapter uh, 13, and I'm going to look at verse 4. It says, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. I'm dealing right now with some situations and I'm trying to advise people that you cannot get riches overnight. You need to work diligently and work hard and God will bless that work. But if you want to get rich overnight, you know that those riches may go overnight and it may go even more than you can afford. I pray to God that we'll look in this book, Proverbs, a bit more and learn some wisdom from this book and apply in our life. If you struggle with something in uh, in life, my dear friend, turn to God, turn to the Bible. Good advice. Thank you, Nick. Len, could you tell us um, from Deuteronomy what you found to be helpful Okay, well, Deuteronomy chapter 28 is, if you like, Moses' final advice to the Israelites before he died. And there are two sections to what he said. He first of all mentions the blessings for obedience, and then he talks about the curses for disobedience. The first verse starts off, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. This is almost like saying, if you put God first, last and best in everything, he will bless you. And then as you read through this chapter, these are some of the things, the promises the Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. And then verse 8, the Lord will send a blessing on your barns and everything you put your hand to. And then goes on, the Lord your God will bless you in the land he's giving you. Then verse 9, the Lord will establish you as his holy people. Verse 11, the Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, and so on and so on. Verse 12, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain. And then in verse 13, the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. This is basically saying, if you honour and obey the Lord, you will be blessed. 
you can trust it. Thank you, Lynn. Our last point um, for the summary of advice from the Bible's will. Can you please look at Matthew 25, verses 14 to 21, and tell us what that is about? This is a story told by Jesus, and he says that a man went on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them uh, as stewards. And after a long time, the master of those servants returns to settle the accounts with them. And one of those that he puts in charge of the stewardship of his money really excels. And he praises them with the words of, in verse 21 of uh, Matthew 25, he says, The master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I think the lesson is for us all. Everything that we have belongs to the Lord in reality. We are called to be his faithful stewards. We're called to avoid waste, avoid selfishly appropriating it all to our own indulgent desires, but rather to act wisely and to make it grow for the benefit of the Lord and the Lord's work mainly. We will in this way, I believe, be investing in heaven. And it's true of everyone that sometimes selfishness gets in the way of our happiness and of our Christian development. Wise advice from the scriptures, Denise. Thank you, Will. So I'd like to ask you, listeners, how do you define a successful life? I would like to suggest that there are two ways to view success in life. The only way that is truly beneficial, I believe, is God's way, and he has given us ample advice as to how to go about having a successful life with him as the guiding force. And there are lots of examples in the Bible to back that up. I would like to leave you with a quote from a book called Education, written by Ellen White, which says, That which lies at the foundation of business integrity and of true success is the recognition of God's ownership. The creator of all things, he is the original proprietor. We are his stewards. All that we have is a trust from him to be used according to his direction. And I'd like to um, challenge you to put God to the test and see how he will bless you. Len, would you close with prayer, please? I'd love to. Shall we pray? Dear Father in heaven, we have before us your word, which gives us good advice good counsel on many things, including how we conduct ourselves in relationship to our family, how we conduct ourselves in relationship to our work and to other people. We thank you for that advice. And the main thing that comes through to me, and I hope to everybody who's listening today, is to put you first. And if we are prepared to do that and to honour you and obey you, then you will bless us abundantly. So we thank you for your loving care and the good advice which we find within the pages of the holy book, your word, the Bible. It's in Jesus' name we come to you today. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone, for uh, your input, your participation today. 
I hope that we have a clear uh, direction now how to be successful. And uh, I'm inviting you, my dear friend, uh, to join us again next time because we are going to uh, deal with another beautiful uh, Bible study. Be aware of covetousness. Until then, may the Lord God bless you and have a very happy, joyful life.